Why are more companies adding digital experience platforms to their marketing stack? How can intelligent automation enhance the delivery of products and the overall customer experience? What will be the number one trending technology in 2022? These are just a few of the questions raised by Alex Cernatescu, Stefanini Infinite CEO, co-founder, and head of global strategy. Joining him to shed some light on these topics are Fabio Caverson, Stefanini's Digital Business and Innovation VP, and Mario Fialho, Stefanini Enterprise Solutions Architecture Senior Manager. Welcome to another episode of the Steph Talks podcast. Let's get into it. Uh, we have uh, with us today, uh, first, uh, Fabio Caversan. Fabio is uh, uh, the Digital Business and Innovation VP uh, for the Stefanini Group. Hello, Fabio. Hey, everyone. Hey, Alex, Mario. Hi, hi everyone. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining, bro. Uh, straight out of Brazil right now. You flew, uh, you flew this week, right? From yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in Miami, actually. I'm in the middle of the day, but I'm, I'm going to go to Brazil after our conversation. Ah, okay. So it's basically okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining, bro. And we also have Mario with us. Mario is uh, Enterprise Solutions uh, Architecture Senior Manager with the Stefanini Group. Hello, Mario. Thank you for being hey, here. Guys. Thanks for having me. For a lot of clients, for a lot of uh, uh, cool, uh, uh, cool projects. Uh, and a lot of the discussions lately were around uh, digital experience platforms, right? So this appears to be one of the top three trending expressions this year and for sure for the next ones. So Mario, can you please explain a bit about digital experience platforms and how they help companies for everybody to understand? Yeah, sure. So, you know, why does a company need a DXP? Um, well, first of all, you have to kind of look at their marketing stack. I mean, if they have, if, if a company like a, like a, you know, a large retailer or, you know, somebody that makes very heavy use of the internet, very heavy use relies very heavily on their, on their website for, you know, much of their revenue, that type of thing. I would say, you know, a DXP is, is, is a really good way to sort of aggregate all of that technology that you've implemented around that, that site to eliminate redundancy, future-proof things, it integrates fluidity. Um, you know, the implementation process can typically be a, a pretty good catalyst for organizing and streamlining and, um, you know, making your business run better in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, what, you know, some, a lot of people will say, you know, well, what is a DXP? What is a, you know, what is a DXP? How does a DXP work? Um, you know, it's, it's, it can be, it can be a little bit complex, but it actually winds up being much simpler. And, and I think the theory behind it is, is impressive at, at, at first, you know, you're basically taking a content management system, which is, ex I mean, essentially a DXP is a CMS, just chop the head off. That's basically where you start. So you've got a headless CMS, and if you've got, you know, you've got the the ability to build out your site and revamp your site into something, say like JavaScript, you can deploy the entire user experience portion of your website out to things like uh, Akamai, out to the edge, and then you can start capitalizing on the fact that people are holding 
a full-blown PC in their hand, or they have a full-blown PC at their desk. So you make their PC do the work. So now they're downloading all of this, all of these files and all of this uh, content from uh, from the edge, and it uses the machine that they're using as the as as the as the power source for the site itself. And all you're doing is making connections back to your site to get data. So it, it makes your site much more performant. It makes the user experience much better. Um, you know, it's how do we, how do we, you know, I guess the, the thought process was how do we make, how do, what's the next level in, in, in experience? What's the next level in, in creating a better experience for people when we have these giant big behemoth websites that have thousands and thousands of pages and tons of material and tons of content? This was the way to do it, and you know it's it's been emerging for several years now, and and I absolutely have spoken to some several uh, several different CIOs about this, and you know this I really do think this is where things are going. I mean it's it's uh it's sort of the next enigma in in web dev in in content delivery, and you know I see I see this becoming a you know I mean it, it is it's more than catching on. Thank you very much, Mario. Sure. Uh, and uh, just to add a bit of um, uh, a bit of information also from the uh, advertising perspective uh, right now if you are to define a brand the brand is the actual um, overall experience uh, that it creates to the users so every little interaction you have with the company that you are using either it's uh, the car company you got your car from the the phone company you got your phone from the the smartphone it doesn't matter okay every little interaction that you have adds up or subtracts from the brand perception so now more than ever it is very important for uh, for companies to take in consideration uh, the entire mix and when i uh, uh, mean the entire mix i mean to take in consideration first the infrastructure which needs to be state of the art it needs to just work on top of it, it needs to take in consideration all the added value because um, we are going very fast towards, um, uh, especially in the next two or three years, is all going to be about personalization, personalized content. Okay, yeah. so I, I think, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, Fabio, if you start adding AI to the mix, so the personalized content is generated in real time based on specific data that you, that you give, I think this, the DXP should be at the core of every business strategy moving forward, especially uh, with the situations that we are seeing, all these new um, COVID variants keep appearing. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. So people are going to use more and more digital, meaning that the interaction with your brand is going to be more and more digital. So you have to be ready now and also future proof. So uh, yeah, I think it generally, it generates a lot of cost savings too on the infrastructure side. Keep that in mind. You don't have to have web servers to have a DXP. You can deliver your entire site out through CDNs and say goodbye to your entire web fund. There's no need for it. So this is a considerable cost savings and, and as well as an, a considerable increase in performance because now you're doing edge-based content delivery, edge-based personalization. And you know it, you can, and Fabio can talk about the delivery of the models. All of that gets delivered out to the edge, out on CDNs closer to the user. Yeah, so you are making, uh, you're giving a better experience and saving money at the same time as a company, if you put all these things together. Cool stuff. Thank you very much, Mario. Sure.
Uh, yeah, I want to, I mean, I, I just want to, since we, let's just disagree a little bit. So this will be a little bo- bit more fun. No, kind of disagree okay. in, in one, just one. I agree totally with, with you guys in the sense that, you know, if you, if you have that already working in a, in a more, in not a modern application in cloud environment and whatever, but you want to improve, et cetera, certainly moving to that new scenario will bring the savings and will bring better results. I just don't want to give people the, the wrong impression that let's say you don't have anything, you don't have AI for predictions and, and you still don't have the uh, uh, user the experience and everything else, then if you are in that stage, you're likely to invest more in the beginning to see uh, the savings uh, uh, in the end. So uh, that this is a common, this is more related to the AI stuff. So I just want to give this this clear view no, to, right. to everyone. So people, yeah, no, that's people, a good point. Yeah, people sometimes think that, you know, oh, AI, I'm going to deploy this and I'm going to save thousands of money right away. Well, it's more than often, more than often, you, you first have to have the improvement, the investment, the UX yep. adoption, and then you see the savings. So, you know, exactly. I'm not disagreeing with everything, but just I just want to do that. that yeah, no, that's, that's a great point to make. I mean, they, there's, there is a, a bit of a ramp up of an investment, but, you know, once you've decommissioned all your web servers, once you've decommissioned, once you've, once you've got the whole entire thing in play, you know, you'll start seeing the return on, you know, it's not sort of a one for one, you do one thing and you immediately start saving money on the other end. Fabio's completely right. I mean, there's definitely an, an initial investment in something like this, but you know, if you're in for the long haul, three to five years down the road, you'll definitely see great returns on your investment. Oh, even less, even less. Yeah. 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 Not to sound brutal, not to sound brutal, but brands and companies who are not in it for, for the long run, uh, will not survive. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it, you're, you're also, you need to be betting on the long haul too. I agree. Yeah. And you can feel, you can feel a brand. Um, I'm talking from confectionery, you know, from uh, chocolate to cars to, you feel brands who are not in it for the long run. It's uh, the, the internet and the way we are all connected, make, made this so transparent. Come on. I mean, so transparent that you can see that and feel that instantly. Yeah, good insights. Yeah, one other point I want to make too is just to keep in mind what what makes a DXP better than what's out there now. The part that the part I want to touch on real quick before we move on is the fluidity part of it, and it, you know it, the the streamlining and fluidity part of it. When you decouple, when you truly decouple a front end from a back end, and you basically, like I had mentioned at the beginning, I want to focus on that chopping of the head off part of it, right? So when you truly decouple the front end from your back end, you you know, technologies, in my opinion, technologies, this is how I, I like to follow them. I might, I might be a little too conservative, but you know, I've heard this from other CIOs and, and you know, directors of IT and VPs. You know, I don't like to buy anything that hasn't caught on. I don't want to be the first person to use something. So, you know, you see these, these frameworks like React or Vue or Angular, you know, they've they've made a they've made some pretty good headway. You know, React has made some serious headway. It's I think it's the predominant framework in the market right now. 
So, but you've got other up and comers that are, are you know, like View was, wasn't really much of anything three or four years ago, but now it's starting to make a pretty big mark on the world. You just simply look at the number of downloads and, and you can kind of judge what's, what's, what's new, what's not new, what's good, what's bad. But at the end of the day, you can switch from View to React to Angular. You can change your front end six different ways from Sunday and it doesn't matter. Your investment is only in the front end piece of it. Your back end is still being fed by the same APIs where a lot of your investment is, in, is going to end up being, is maintaining and, and making sure that that data is performing. True, true. And uh, uh, I totally agree. Uh, all these things need to be taken in consideration when uh, uh, a big company is choosing the DXP strategy, right? Uh, and yes, fluidity exactly. is paramount. Guys, keep in mind that at the end of the day, we are seeing the, only, the, the latest upgrades in, in smartphones are about the hertz and the refresh rate. Come on. And storage. And storage. That's what we're talking yep. about. This is what yep. this is all about. The, the, the overall experience, it has to work. It has to work instantly. And it has to predict what I want from it. So it's right. we have, uh, that's where it's going. Uh, and suppose it's going right, okay? And suppose a brand is doing a great job, great advertising campaign, everything is fine. Uh, once people uh, are happy with the, uh, the product, they are ordering it or they are using the service. Um, I have here a, a question more for, uh, for Fabio because uh, it's not just about the customer experience, right? It's also about the overall delivery of the product. Um, and uh, we have very good examples in, in the world where this entire logistic behind the business is making the difference equally with the quality of the product. So, so Fabio, my question would be, how could a company use intelligent automation to ensure on-time delivery to clients and the overall experience related to the delivery of the products behind the scenes? To give you an example, let's say I just order a toy from, uh, from my daughter click, click, and then I'm just waiting. What happens after my click and how intelligent automation can make, can make that better? Well, yeah, your, your question was where? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> so so it, it, of course, depends on, on, on your, your size and everything, but bottom line, from the moment you had that click, you know, software automation has to, to be in place. So no one, you know, has to touch that until there's an order in the warehouse or something like that. And then you say, hey, but I, I, I already have that. Oh, great. You're on the right path. No, I, I don't have it. I have a dozen systems. Do I have to rewrite them? Well, not necessarily. Maybe you can use, you know, intelligent automation, hyper automation, RPAs. There's several alternatives. The point is uh, get the, the, the problem, the cumbersome part of the project, of the process, and, and let's start automating that. You know, I don't know that. I remember a case from a big, that, that from a big auto manufacturer where they sold the car and then you needed a lot of manual process to enable GPS and things like that. And then we put automation on top of that. And then boom, it, it was a matter of minutes. So bottom line is you don't have a system. Okay, maybe we should write or buy one 
to, to do that automatically. Well, I have, and it's kind of a mess, several ones. Okay, maybe we can put automation on top of that because you have that already uh, running. Um, and and that's, that's the, I'm talking only about the software part, right? There are also a lot of solutions in the warehouse itself that can speed up pickup, packaging, and et cetera. Again, to all the uh, sizes and flavors, right? Um, you can have an entirely uh, a warehouse with automated shelves to bring the product to a certain bay where you're going to package or something like that. Or you can have small robots. And um, so this is reality, right? As I always talk to you guys, I don't like to talk about sci-fi and et cetera, but you can have small uh, uh, self-guided vehicles that go to the, the shelf and get the product. It's, there's a lot of uh, uh, preparation that you have to do. You have to have beans, you have to have gear codes. So I'm talking about real stuff, you know. Uh, um, it's not a humanoid robot that is going to go there and pick. It's, it's, it's in a controlled environment, but because it's in a controlled environment, it's, it's cheap, it's feasible, there are less air horse. So there are all those small automations that you can put. Sometimes with cameras, if you want to put like today, 200 cameras in your warehouse to see what's in the shelf, what's in there and control, it's pretty cheap. You put 200 $10 cameras in there. So there are a lot of, like I said, from the from simple and cheap things that you can do to speed up, to more sophisticated automations with entire, you know, conveyor belts and, and, and shelves, automated shelves and et cetera. So that's the other part, right? Uh, so from the software side to the real life, to the physical, to the hardware side, there are a lot of things that you can do to automate and you don't have to implement them all at the same time. You know, again, let's see what's my worst problem on the on the software and the system side. What's my worst problem on the warehouse? Let's solve them first. Pretty cool. So, so, so you mean basically that clients should be more creative when they talk about this part and not imagine it as something huge, hard to implement, and uh, sci-fi, but to look at it from a more uh, applicable, if you will, applicable way and do it in increments and find specific uh, places where they can actually uh, do this with a smaller budget and see results uh, uh, faster than wait for an entire uh, fully automated end-to-end uh, -end, uh, project. Exactly, go, go step by step, right? So. Yeah, very, very cool insights. Thank you very much. Mario, I have, uh, I have uh, also a, a question for you, and it's kind of related with what we were talking about uh, in how companies should approach projects like, uh, like this IT projects. So my question would be, in your experience, what are the top three things that companies need to change in their IT strategy, uh, infrastructure, overall approach? Uh, right now from what you are seeing in the market from the tens of calls we had hundreds of calls we had together this year from what you saw if you were to synthesize what would be the top three things they would need to change in the way they are doing the strategy about digitalization that's a great question alex um in my opinion i think digital strategy is probably the number one thing that a lot of companies 
probably should spend a little bit more time focusing on, you know, what are they doing? Like, like Fabio said, what are you doing for RPA? What are you doing for BPA? And more importantly, what are you doing with the cloud to house all of that? Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a pretty good statistic that came out in the uh, state of the cloud report this past year that said, while two and three respondents report using public cloud, only one in four are using it to its full potential. So that means 75% of the people that are in the cloud aren't using it fully. They're paying for it, but they're not using it to their you know, complete potential. 65% of mid-evolution organizations report that public cloud yet only, you report using public cloud, yet only 20% of them are using it to their full potential. So, I mean, there's a, there's a huge gap at, at this point. You know, I think everybody's prepared to go to the cloud. I just don't think that their digital strategy is mature enough yet to be able to say, okay, this is how we're gonna capitalize on, on this investment. And this is how, this is when we're gonna start seeing the return on that investment. Um, you know, I think number two is probably application transformation. I think that's another huge gap in technology right now. I mean, IT technology itself is cyclical. Um, you know, people, people get used to having the applications that they have, they get comfortable with them. I mean, you know, the human being is naturally at, at, at you know, doesn't like change, I guess, to put it bluntly. So, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of times you have people that are just not willing to learn something new uh, to get somewhere new. And, you know, it's, and it's inherent throughout all of business as a whole. So um, I think it's important. I think, you know, the, I guess, I don't want to say you can't teach old dogs new tricks because you can. I'm a perfect example, but um but, you know, I think a lot, I think that is changing too, inherently. I think that, you know, a lot more of the, uh, the younger folks, the younger professionals that are coming into the industry or, or the various different industries are, are coming out of school or coming out of their trade schools with the understanding that they're going to be learning for the rest of their lives. It's not, you're learning one thing and you're doing one thing for the rest of your life. It doesn't work like that anymore. Um, and then I think the last thing is analytics. I think AI or you know, like Fabio, I think will agree with me. We don't really have AI. I mean, we use that word pretty often to, to describe a group of technologies um, that technically have not really come together as a true SAI, sentient AI, or a, you know, even an, a higher level would be an HI or human intelligence. Um, but I think, you know, I'm sure we're trending that way, but utilizing those technologies like machine learning, like business, um, business intelligence um, to derive certain analytics about what you're doing. You know, how well is your company performing as a whole? How well is certain aspects of your company performing? You know, utilizing all of that data, you have people, I think a lot of companies don't realize just exactly how much data they actually have and what they could do with it if they put it into the right, containers and looked at it through the correct lenses. I think that, you know, that, that in itself, you know, is again, and this, both of those two things also fall back on the digital strategy as a whole. But those, I think those are the top three things I think, uh, you know, in my opinion, again. Thank you very much, Mario, for, uh, for sharing. Uh, indeed, I uh, 
I agree with you 100%. Uh, for me to add a bit to, uh, to this as well, um, because you pretty much covered the, the, the main things, RFP process timelines and RFP flows. The yeah. time, the time it takes a lot of companies to, to buy an, uh, uh, projects like this, sometimes the technology changes two or three times because they start an RFP this year, you know, for something or to fix something. And sometimes RFPs can take one or two years, nine months, one and a half. And average time frame is a year. Average, exactly, exactly. That, the average time frame is a year. In one year, in one year, look at uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. What happened in one year? Look at 2020. Yep. What can I say? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Goethe who says uh, that we humans uh, don't have the ability to imagine the reality. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And 2020 was like uh, yeah. the definition of that. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot continue to, to, to try to adapt if you don't adapt the entire process. And RFP uh, and the process of purchasing and buying is part of that process, right? So uh, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to add in terms of change. I think they should be more open to POCs. Uh, we have a lot of partners which are open to POCs and we thank them for that and for the trust in, in our group. Uh, they should be more open to start small, you know, to take steps. They should be more open to, uh, I don't know, to, to try to move faster, right? I agree. Because technology doesn't uh, wait. And yeah, the RFP process as yeah. a whole is a, is a and I if think you, needs to be revamped. Yeah. yeah. And if you have to do, we had example, if you have to do, I don't know, for any reason, be able to after that one that year, you know, when the process is complete, to have the flexibility, the agility, and the partnership with your supplier to change whatever needs to change. Because you know, one year is already, like you guys mentioned, bad enough in terms of the changes, but to 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 keep straight in what was you know written and, and everything, we also a compromise the whole project you 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 gotta be flexible and, and willing to change you know so yeah i i agree with you guys yeah exactly it's i have a one of my favorite sayings uh, on a personal level is um, that you are you are the five people you spend the most time with Agreed. like you are the the medium right of those people you spend the most time with five you can extend it to ten if you want i think a company is the medium value of the last five projects it implemented you know what i mean <laughs> and the way they did it so it's a good way to look at it yeah i mean yeah because it impacts a lot of things it the way you move um, as a structure as a company impacts the culture impacts the partners you have impacts the mm -hmm. Um, ability for you to fight the talent wars we are in, to fight yeah. to get people, right? Because it's not just about getting consumers and sell. It's also about hiring the right talent. So when you want to get smart people, you want to get the bright people, you want to get energy in your company, they are going to look at the medium of the last <laughs> five projects you did. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. Never thought about that, Alex. Now I'm going to start to think about the five 
to 10 people. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, it's the truth. It's, it's, yeah. it's the truth. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, this is what is lifting you up, uh, keeping you still or, you know, getting you down. And uh, I think it all relates to, to decisions and, you know, way of thinking. Yeah. So hopefully yeah, I mean, we're seeing uh, a huge I, shift in that. We're, sh we're seeing a huge shift from waterfall to agile too. You know, that's, you know, I guess that kind of falls into the digital strategy aspect of things too, but you know, not just in the technology world, but just in businesses as a whole want to run their businesses more efficiently, you know, and they're starting to adopt agile outside of the IT department, you know, throughout the whole company. You know, I know, I know for a fact, our head agile guy has worked with some of the largest companies in the world. And it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a multi-year thing to, to shift into something like that, because again, uh, people are adverse to change, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the return is massive for a, for a large company like that. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be interesting. Although, you know, the Chinese proverb, you know, may, uh, may uh, God protect us from interesting times. So, but we are living interesting <laughs> times for the yeah. past years. So. Actually, speaking of which, I just read a really terrible article yesterday that said, you might be living with COVID for the rest of your life. So this may be our new reality. Not a, yeah, not a big <laughs> surprise. Not a big surprise yeah. for me. After after the last one, I oh. Omicron, I just say, okay, let's. That would be horrible. That, that it is what it is. Let's let's go. But speaking <laughs> anyway. of what Alex said, like this might be our new reality. You know. Yeah. This, this might be the way things go for the next twenty years. Who knows? Yeah, which is uh, which is again, you 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 know, you always need to focus specifically on what you can change. Mm -hmm. If this is something that we cannot change, of course, we do our part. You know, we wear the masks, we take, we are vaccinated. You take the shots, the booster shots, the booster of the booster shots. Yeah. Like I really asked when I got my third shot, I asked, excuse me, can I take five or six shots right now? <laughs> so I don't have to drive. Here? I don't have a problem. I, I, can I take I, a couple I, home with me? <laughs> yeah, really. And, and then I, I truly believe it is going to be self um, how you call it when you do it yourself at home i think that's going to be in the future but if this is not something that we can change then all our energy should be not on why it happened because it's not something we can control but on how we cope with it better right both as individuals and also as organizations then goes back to what mario was saying you know uh we 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 old man we're gonna you know think think it's weird and weird but but when i see i have nephews and 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 they are already, you know, very young toddlers, uh, and they are they are already playing. Oh, I have to put the mask on on the doll and what, whatever. Yeah, nephews, nephews. Uh, uh, my Portuguese is is failing me now. What's the female version of nephew? Oh my god, nieces, nieces, nieces. Oh, thank you. Okay, I have nieces then. Okay, and they they're playing already. It's natural for them. They they okay. This is reality. This is what you do. Hey, you pick that thing on the ground. Go wash your hands or whatever. So anyway, I think yeah. I think Mario, the young, the youngest generation. If this is how the world is gonna be, uh, the youngest generation will will just you know live with it and we we will complain for reality, a while right? yeah we yeah. will complain for a we're while we're the ones that'll have the hardest time with it because yeah. we're used to you know yeah. like you said yeah yeah we, we will sound crazy when we will tell stories you know like after <laughs> playing football drinking yeah. from the same bottle like no nah, yeah. you're kidding me <laughs> no yeah, exactly <clears throat> i don't believe you uh yeah it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty 
bad because imagine there are uh, already two generations. I'm talking about the, the, you know, the freshman, you know, starting high school from home in front of a yeah. screen or starting college from home in front of a screen, starting the junior year, the, you know, the year one from home in front of a screen. I mean, uh, and, and this is like yeah. childhood and, you know, education and all these institutions are also a big part. It's about, you know, that interaction between kids, you know, face-to-face interaction and how, how where is this going to go? I mean, uh, you're thinking about it because we, we grew up like that. We were lucky enough, you know, to, to grow up like that. And I'm always thinking when I, when I see schools have started how what do you mean just click a button and yeah yeah let's uh, let's see where it goes hopefully uh, i'm still very hopeful but uh, until then we are agile right <laughs> and try to we're still, we're still i don't know in which stage of grief we are gentlemen if we're still in denial <laughs> but but you know we'll get there <laughs> to ask you um, the following what do you think will be the number one trend in technology in 2022 that will actually make ripples uh, moving forward? I mean, if you are to name just one trend, what would that trend be? I think Fabio and I will say the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of unfair, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of unfair. It's not that we like it's not because we yeah. like it, it's because yeah. it's a reality. Yeah, it's impossible. I mean, the the yeah, yeah the it's I, I would say it's it's AI and I I will agree with Mario and I'm not even start this discussion here that it's really just a name that we put to a lot of technologies but not really yeah, you know true. intelligence but but yeah it's it's yeah. it's AI I have a I have a, a, a believe a, a firm belief in, in quantum computing as well but it's not for the next year I guess so yeah, yeah. let's I'll name AI kind of cliche but can't think about anything else yeah so AI. any one of the technologies inside of that ai bucket rpa bpa process automation business automation i think that's i think that's really where it's at at this point you know what i mean how do you how do you make best use of your staff you know by by automating a lot of the menial stuff that they do so they can do more important stuff yeah Well, there you have it. Thanks to Alex, Fabio, and Mario for those fascinating insights. To learn more about digital strategy, using AI to improve the customer experience, and much more, be sure to check out our trends blogs at stefanini.com. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe. We release new episodes every month. Until next time, this has been the Steph Talks podcast. Thanks for tuning in.